Welcome to Season 8 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? You want to expand your resource toolbox with practical teaching, learning, and program design strategies? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Hello and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Ben Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm excited because we're in our eighth season. We've been talking about research and scholarship in the field. We've been asking the question to just about everybody we can find connected to research, um, where should leadership educators go for research? Um, we've talked to journal editors. We've talked to editors of publications for practitioners. We've talked to scholars about their agenda. We've talked to peer reviewers about the process for reviewing both manuscripts and conference submissions. And just to paint a a full and complete picture of what leadership research looks like. Initially, we interviewed doctors Tony Andonaro and Kristen Salente Scandell about their leadership. And during that episode, it sparked an idea for Dan and I, um, why not talk to everyone? So to give you a little background, Tony and Kristen published the National Leadership Education Research Agenda 2020 to 2025 It's in volume 14, issue three of the Journal of Leadership Studies. And as a part of the research agenda, there are nine priorities with writing groups uh, around kind of what's the next step for leadership education research. That's right. And as a refresher, what was this big project, right? So the National Leadership Education Research Agenda, the intent there was to provide this roadmap for future research in leadership education uh, developed by a real diverse group of leadership scholars that span the globe from various fields. And the intent there being, uh, you know, guide future researchers and identifying some important areas of inquiry, uh, developing research questions, designing studies that would hopefully contribute to the understanding and improvement in our field. And the agenda culminated in nine priorities, as you mentioned, and the idea there being that they will inform the future practice and development of the next generation of leaders, right? And so today, we're really lucky to be speaking with authors from priority number six. And today, we have with us Dr. Graziella McCarran, an assistant professor of leadership studies in the School of Integrative Studies at George Mason University, and Dr. Grant Jackson, assistant professor of educational psychology, leadership, and counseling at Texas Tech University, and they were lead authors on the writing team for Priority 6, titled Centering Dialogic and Digital Approaches in Leadership Education Pedagogy. So welcome to the show, Graziella. Thank you so much for having us, Lauren and Dan. So fun to be here. We're excited to jump in, and welcome to the show, Grant. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. You're welcome. We're excited as well. And so I and I have a, a special affinity for, for this particular one, not because I was part of the writing team, because I wasn't, but because one of the exciting things I found from my dissertation work as I was studying the pedagogical practices of leadership faculty was that discussion-based pedagogies, the pedagogy we use most often or what we refer to as, uh, or at least what I refer to in my dissertation and a couple articles as a quote-unquote signature pedagogy. Uh, this scholar, Lee Shulman, wrote a series of 
edited books on signature pedagogies in the professions. And he called those the the go-to instructional strategy you think of when you think of preparing people for a particular trade or industry or profession, you know, like the Socratic method in law school or improvisation in theater or clinicals for nurses, right? And so it turned out that leadership educators use discussion-based pedagogies more so than anything else. I mean, I think it's because I don't know, maybe people need to talk to each other, right? Um, And the leaders need to be able to facilitate discussion and bring people towards a common purpose or facilitate positive change or or what have you. And so um, I I wasn't surprised um, when I found that. Um, I think it was more affirming, but it's really, really interesting to see how y'all dived into this and that that came out both in, you know, your face-to-face and digital spaces. So I'm curious as you think about you know, your background and your teaching experience or, or maybe even experience as a learner, what, what brought you to get involved in, in this particular project and maybe what was uh, missing from the leadership research that you felt a need to propose this topic to Tony and Christian? Yeah, well, I will jump in. The, the deep, dark secret is that Grant and I have a, a choreography. <laughs> we had talked a little bit about how we were going to hopefully um, uh, chat with you both. But I would say that, um, you know, from my viewpoint, what excited me most was this idea of the future of leadership education and how we could start thinking about, and, and granted, this was before COVID hit, right? And started thinking about um, where does digital, uh, where does the digital piece come into play at our institution in our particular unit with respect to our leadership studies courses, we had been doing the translation from face-to-face to to online asynchronous since 2016 with the understanding that we wanted to create access for students um, to the leadership coursework. And so when this opportunity sort of came to describe what the path ahead might look like, um, at least my perspective was, well, surely we need to be talking about, you know, online leadership uh, coursework and how we engage in those really important discussions, but in a space that goes beyond time. Um, And it just so happened that, you know, Kristen and, and Tony put together a team of folks who were kind of all thinking about this future of of leadership in in merging um, these discussions and the digital format, um, and so here we are. Yeah, and for me, um, another author here on the paper, Dr. John McDonald. He's a colleague here in, in my department. You know, I I feel like, and we felt like we had noticed when, when you look at leadership theory, when you look at leadership research, when you look at leadership practice and practices. Um, we, you know, he and I had also been doing a lot of leadership consulting and training and seminars. So when you look at the people who are seeking out leadership um, and the content that that uh, people are engaging with in terms of leadership training, um, it became something we started to notice was that whether you're looking at theory or research or practice, there's a, there seemed to be an underlying assumption that there's all these different approaches to leadership. There's transformative leadership, there's positive leadership, there's servant leadership, and all of these things can be done and carried out by everyone, everyone equally, and that no, no matter what, you will be perceived the same way when you do these practices, as if these leadership principles and, and practices transcended a lot of other things that would, that would make you be read or experienced differently as a leader. Um, and so we just we just felt like um, that there was a need to bring that into the leadership conversation, uh, that recognition. On the one hand, maintaining the idea that great leadership can transcend various obstacles, 
Uh, that's what makes it powerful. That's what makes it inspiring. Uh, and not but or or, but and at the same time, um, the ability to recognize how applying leadership principles and practices may not solve all problems, right? That not everyone can do these things equally and be re received equally and perceived and followed equally. Uh, and, and in the same way that people experience that differently. And so uh, from a dialogue standpoint, as we introduce opportunities for people to talk about this dimension of leadership in leadership education, right? Training the sort of next generation of future leaders, that that can give a place for people to talk about those experiences that maybe they don't feel like they have. And at the same time, help people learn and become aware of things that they might've thought weren't there because leadership is leadership is leadership, no matter who you are, no matter what context you're in, et cetera. So when we found out about this opportunity, we thought this would be a great place to kind of bring those two worlds together. So I love hearing y'all talk about that. And it, it spurs a couple of things. Um, the, the first one is, I, I love the idea uh, that, and I think y'all start the paper with this, that we can no longer kind of move separately, like the, in the digital space and in the dialogue space, like they're merged. And I know that, you know, from my own research, that there are varying beliefs in terms of teaching um, and technology and how we do it. So some, some, you know, there's some beliefs that students naturally know technology, which we know is not true. There are some beliefs as, as faculty, like that we don't need to integrate technology. Like I, I remember when I first, you know, started teaching and used Blackboard, it was literally to post the syllabus. So I didn't have to hand it out at the beginning of class, like my instructors had done. But we know that now there's so many more things that you can do. However, there are some folks that are still living kind of in that post the syllabus, collect assignment space. And so with the varying beliefs, um, it, it's nice to see the marriage of like relationships and, and this technology, as well as push for understanding how the processes work together. Um, because I, I, one thing I, I don't know that we always, one thing I, I truly believe is our students are looking for us to not just teach the content, but also the technology. And if we're not, there's something missing there. And so it's such a critical piece for us. So that's kind of the first part. The second part is you talk a lot about intergroup dialogue, and, and I don't know if there's a way y'all can just talk a little bit about that for those that may not be familiar with that model and, and how widely used it is or how widely practiced it, practiced it is in areas where people are trying to add that diversity and social justice and inclusion lens to their teaching. Could you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. So Intergroup dialogue is a particular approach to dialogic pedagogy. There's lots of different ways it can be done. This is a specific model that was developed back in the late 80s at the University of Michigan. It has since spread to hundreds of other universities and other contexts as well. So outside of higher education, K-12, public uh, uh, community organizations, the private sector, et cetera. And um, it's also been fairly researched um, over the last 30 years and refined as, as it's been researched, which is, which is really powerful, I think. Um, it is, I mean, if, if you wanna just paint the picture, so you imagine in its, in its original form, it's small groups of students, maybe 10 to 15 or so, who are meeting together weekly for a few hours. They're engaging in readings in between, they do various activities and structured interactions that, uh, help them engage with difficult topics, controversial topics um, related to belonging, related to identity, matters of diversity, um, and all that comes with that. And um, throughout those weeks, it could, you know, however many number of weeks it might be, it varies, um, they're being moved through, through different phases. So first is a phase where they're talking about 
they're, they're just establishing relationships and they're talking about commonalities that exist in, within commonalities that they may have never they may have never thought they had because given how diverse the group is it's it's moments where it's like oh i never knew that you and i are similar in this way i would have never known them and then there's a phase where they talk about how how the group is different how the group is having different experiences in this world that we live in um and um then there's a phase where they kind of engage with controversial issues related to a broader dialogue topic you might have a topic uh, a dialogue on race or gender and so you're engaging with the, the, the having it laid that foundation, you start engaging with the uh, controversial, difficult topics associated with that broader topic. And then a final phase where you're crystallizing your takeaways, you're determining next steps, you're determining what, what, um, what steps are you gonna go take in your various spheres of influence, whatever those spheres of influence might be. So there's also an action or um, in, in weaving, now that, that intergroup dialogue kind of on its own, uh, but, but the principles and practices upon which it's built, which I've kind of over summarized here, are things that can be brought into other classrooms as well. And so we talk a little bit in, in, in this article about uh, ways in which that kind of dialogic approach can be brought into leadership education. We start inviting people to start thinking about that. Um, maybe just real quick, I'll say, you know, um, Dan, you mentioned that, that leadership education has been very discussion based. In intergroup dialogue, they actually spend a, a good amount of time talking about the difference between discussion and dialogue and debate. So in a debate, you're trying to prove and disprove claims. You're trying to figure out what is right. You're trying to figure out who is right, maybe even who is a winner. Um, it's not even necessarily fighting or arguing. That's different. But like even just debate, even if it's civil, that's kind of the name of it, is you're trying to prove and disprove. In a discussion, it's more of an abstract uh, exchange of ideas. It might be more conceptual. It might be more impersonal. So then it's like, well, what is the dialogue thing? In dialogue, you're speaking to the, your lived experiences with the topic at hand, right? So you might imagine if we were gonna talk about um, race, we can visualize what a debate around race looks like. We can visualize what a discussion around race might look like. But now we can also kind of visualize what a dialogue around race might look like. So, so what have you, what are your own experiences with your race, with race in society, how race affects your life, and the ability to share that and to hear that, we think could be a really powerful way to inform how people think about leadership and what, is it, what does it mean to lead other people in that way. I, I appreciate the, the nuance explanation in terms of how all of this fits together, especially applying it specifically to leadership education. I feel like for a long time, and I know I, I've, I've felt like this, I've lived in almost two separate spaces. There was like the leadership education development training space. And then there was like the DEI inclusion, well, I, idea, all the letters. Now, there was like that space. And I know I was in both spaces, but I, I felt like there were some people who were missing out on both. Like some people were going to like the NCOR conferences of the world and some people were going to like the NASPAs or um, ILA, ALE conferences of the world. And now it feels like there's more intentionality about bringing those two spaces together. Uh, I know that excited me in reading this, but but for y'all, what excited you about this priority? I mean, like, was there something, was there a moment or a topic or a discussion or or something that really just kind of got you like all warm and fuzzy and just kind of excite, like that sugar rush you get when you have ice cream at your favorite place and like you can't control yourself? Like what got you excited about this par particular priority? I'm happy to jump in there. Lauren, you mentioned ice cream. Could we do like a quadruple espresso instead? Because that's what really gets me very, very excited. Yes, especially because um, it's 1030 in the morning. It we is can 1030 definitely do in the morning. Yeah, you, you know, the Italian in me. 
Um, I would say one thing that just totally and completely blew me away from our initial conversations and in rereading, you know, going through some of the abstracts was this idea of humanness and creating leadership education and leadership education spaces that spoke to the humanity of the person, the whole student, all of, all of their needs um, and honoring how they showed up in that space. And so I will, you know, I don't, I can't forget uh, Tara Taylor, who was our, um, who was the only graduate student on the team and her incredible contribution around this idea of transparency around leadership education, particularly when it came to digital spaces and how to create humanness and sense of belonging and, and you know, co-construction around that. And uh, for me, as someone who, you know, desperately tries to do this community thing in online spaces, um, you know, and, and constantly feels like, ah, oh, we're not there. How do we do it better? How do we shape it differently? How do we get at this humanity, both humanizing the instructor and then certainly creating bonds between the students? For, for me, that was that moment of holy guacamole. Like we can do this here. We can do this in this piece. We can talk about these things um, and, and really give it time and attention. Uh, so I think for me, that was the moment. And even as I'm talking about it now, I'm getting kind of, you know, chills because the humanity that piece of yeah we can connect we we can be together here and i'll just add a big second to to you know i'll just add is that you know often leadership and even management can be very uh trans have a very transactional feel uh, a contractual feel um and breathing life and humanity back into that i think was something that really excited me Another thing, I think I feel like I had two different waves of excitement. Waves of excitement. One was when the call came out, and, and I kind of talked about how that excited me and, and why you know we submitted. But then when when we got when we when we got accepted and we started working on it as a group, there was this kind of a humorish ish moment of like you know why, why did we get put together? Like we have this online stuff, and then we have intergroup dialogue. And from the '80s till 2019, pre-pandemic. Intergroup dialogue was always thought of something that is face-to-face -face and in-person. And it was almost, it was really hard to imagine that you'd ever have those kinds of, that kind of communication on those kinds of topics through some sort of digital means. And so I was like, wow, these are, these are about as detached from each other as you can get. And I think we had, I mean, I think it was like our first meeting. We were all just kind of like, how do we put this together? And then it kind of just hit us that these are two, their connection is that they are both uh, very important to the upcoming years of leadership education. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we think of them as, as two different things that are both right at the top of the list, like you can't avoid, we can't ignore the digital trends, but we can't avoid these kinds of conversations around these kinds of topics. Wow, that's amazing. And then there was this next layer of realization of like, oh, they're interconnected, like, online intergroup that like that's gonna be a thing like we need to know how to be able to do that and do that effectively and and perhaps more importantly not do that problematically or in ways that's that that does more harm than it does good it was like oh like we've got something here um it's not these two like things that are totally detached and we need to kind of fake them together um they really go together in very important ways so that was exciting I love that you shared that, Grant. You took me back to that first meeting <laughs> and that similar feeling of why are we together? Um, and, and so true. I appreciate you bringing that back around of that moment 
of, no, this does make so much sense. And, and then sort of spending the time to think through it together. So meaningful. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for reminding me about that. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun moment. One of the themes that's come up consistently is the, the humanness that y'all have talked about, as well as the, how, how are we supposed to make this work? I think every, every writing pair, every, every episode that that point comes up and it's nice. It's nice to know that you weren't handed this perfect topic or this perfect gift and everything didn't, you know, flow together. It was really about getting in and, and including all the voices and, and the literature and like doing the work to ensure that the product or, or the, the piece turned out to, to be something very strong. And that, that could guide um, researchers through this space, researchers and practitioners. Uh, it reminds me though, really quickly of, of, my own experience in the pandemic, when you said, how are we going to do intergroup dialogue? Like I had only heard from, from about intergroup dialogue, Michigan model. You had to go there. You couldn't, like, it wasn't something you could do virtually. And I remember thinking one of my peers said, we can't teach our classes online. Like had had preached this before the pandemic. It's all about relationships. We can't do this because I'm in a, a advertising and public relations department. And, and in my head, look, what I tell my students about online work is because because I've had plenty of peers who have worked remotely even before the pandemic started. I said, if you saw your favorite insert, who's cool for y'all now, because I don't know, because I'm too old, insert who's cool. If you saw them on the corner, you know, by the Barnes and Nobles, you would run up to them. You would feel excited. You would have all the emotions. You would you would think of what you wanted to say. In the same way, if you saw your friend walking down the street or your roommate, you'd run up to them and say, hey, because you'd be excited to see them in a different space. And, and if we if if and I was like, you never met Taylor Swift or whoever, you've never really met them in, in person. So you've only seen them virtually. It works the same way for class. And they're like, oh, maybe that's a stretch. And I'm like, ah. and so it feels like the research is kind of catching up to some things that we anecdotally know, but we we assume the same skill set we use for face-to-face is the same skill set we use in technology. And, and I bring out my like, aha, aha, like, no. And then we get into some really good conversation about kind of what that looks like and what some of the differences are. So I love that y'all kind of had this thought and you're, you're putting these, the, the same things we hold true and value in face-to-face spaces. You're, you're looking at kind of how do we do this virtually and not we can't do this virtually or we can't do it through technology and things like that. It's really pushing kind of what we already know to be true. All right, I'll jump in because I know exactly what I want to comment on and what I want to ask you all next. You know, I love this where y'all kind of took this conversation and also how that's kind of represented in the in the priority article here. You know, there's you know, you mentioned and I really appreciate the differentiation between the intergroup dialogue and discussion and you know, really kind of setting that straight. And then also as I continue to be curious about pedagogy uh, use by leadership faculty, a follow-up study after my dissertation that I did was to actually look at, so the dissertation work was looking only at face-to-face undergraduate faculty, right, that taught leadership. And so that was, uh, and that was by design, right? Uh, my dissertation committee kept me uh, on uh, on the planet. <laughs> and so, but they did say, hey, you know, once you become Dr. Jenkins, you can do whatever you want with this research, but let's keep this realistic. And so I expanded it to also look at graduate education and also blended and online, which turned out to be, I guess, to have a little bit of foresight because there, there were, first of all, there were, wasn't a lot of uh, of that going on, but uh, nowhere near the, and, and synchronous learning was not something that was done anywhere. Um, really, I mean, what what I was looking at really was this, you know, even a blended classroom would be something that met 
six times and everything else was online, right? And so this this whole Zoom approach and and whatever other types of technological advancements were being used to bring folks together wasn't really part of the pedagogical environment. But what we did find was that whether you were face-to-face, blended, or purely asynchronous online, it was still discussion-based learning that led the pack in leadership education across the board undergraduate, graduate, didn't really matter. It was, we need to talk with each other, reflect with each other, you know, in in different types of intentional or, or being facilitated in all points, very, very intentional, like, which is to your point, like, how are we being more mindful to set up those environments, which is kind of meta that y'all are writing about the these approaches and being intentional and researching the approaches to make sure that we're creating more inclusive environments. And so I guess I'm curious, what, what did you learn about yourselves as leaders or leadership educators through this writing process? That I have a long way to go. Uh, that would be the first. <laughs> a. <laughs> um, and I think the, the the second piece was really affirming, you know, the idea of letting the students be our guide, you know, in, some, in terms of how we think about creating um how we think about creating pedagogy and, and where, you know, where they're, how do we leverage their strengths um, and their passion and their vision to create learning environments that excite them and include them and um, in, an, in the online asynchronous space, um, what sorts of guidance and expectations do do they need? Do they want um, to so that they feel safe, right? And and so an example of that would be, you know, I I do teach a number of online asynchronous courses, and one of the courses is on ethics and leadership. So just imagine right, the kinds of discussions that we're having around ethics. And, and how do we do that in a way that supports, um, you know, c- civility, but courage um, and kindness and thoughtfulness and um, really, you know, I-, I asked the students, you know, what does this environment look like for you? What would you need in this space? And, and what kind of direction? How do you want me to engage? And so sort of having those parameters up front um, has enabled, I think, a richer, a richer discussion where people can be transparent, it can be authentic, and do so in a way that advances the conversation, right, and that allows for, um, for some deeper learning. And so the biggest takeaway for me was, yes, you know, we can do these discussions, these dialogues, these, you know, necessary um, and important uh, moments online, but you know, how do I do it in a way that honors students, brings in their experiences and makes them feel connected? And so in that second piece, it was, you know, sort of the humility of going back to, well, what do the students need? Yeah, I would say for me, I've learned about myself over the years that I'm the kind of person that first feels something, recognizes it kind of in my gut. And then my brain figures out how to uh, understand it and make sense. And then I figure out how to say it, or in this case, write it, right? And then I figure out, hopefully-ish, how to do it, 
right? So sometimes I'll be talking with lots of people and I'll be like, oh, there's this thing. I, I, I feel it in my gut, but I don't quite know how to say it yet. Uh, or this thing, I, I know how to explain it, but I don't quite know how to do it. And so for this writing process, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, there's kind of this, you know, in my gut and then in my brain, I could see that there was these, there's these dimensions of leadership that maybe we need to be paying more attention to. So the writing process really required me to figure out how to, you know, how to write that out. And then in writing it, then it was like, well, how would you actually do it, right? It becomes so clear. You can feel it. You just know that like there's something to this. But then when you actually start, when you when you move past that really exciting, invigorating feeling of like, okay, there's something here. And it's like, all right, how do we actually do it? And that can be a little more, you know, kind of um, taxing, maybe even discouraging for the moment until you push through and you actually figure out how to do it. So um, this process really... Um, required me to get beyond like, okay, yeah, 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 your gut has discerned this, this intersection, but let, like, how, how do we actually do it? So that was really, you know. I was just going to offer one quick thing. I think, you know, with respect to learning um, and teaching and learning each other as a team, we were so fortunate, lucky, you know, the two of us are talking to you here and I wish we could all be here together, the whole team, you know, cause we had like, we had Gordon Schmidt who, you know, talks about how to do leadership in the digital space, right? So not only were we having this leadership educator piece, but then he could pull us into, yeah, yeah, but what is this actually, what could this potentially look like, right? And we had Larissa, who's our instructional designer. And sort of, so in terms of the, you know, kind of learning about ourselves from each other, if that makes sense, like sort of within our own writing group and, and kind of feeling the gut stuff out as Grant referenced and then having these amazing folks who do the deep, you know, deep thinking in very specific spaces kind of guide the, the larger piece of writing. Um, so in that, you know, I would say that was sort of that other aha. Yeah. Yeah, we've had Gordon on a couple of times uh, on, on our podcast. Uh, first to talk about, so listeners, if you haven't checked out those episodes, first to talk about the, the book he co-authored about leadership in the Marvel Universe, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. And then he came on, uh, that was a couple of years ago, I think. And then he came on more recently to talk about his role on the management teaching review uh, editorial board. And yeah, he's he's just so much fun. And, and I learned my, we just love his laugh. <laughs> he's just, it's such a like infectious in a good way, like laugh. It just makes you happy. <laughs> so really quickly with, with Gordon, yeah. the thing I love the most is I was, I think we were watching Marvel comic universe, MCU movies through the same lens. Cause I'd mm -hmm. see leadership stuff and I'd be like, well, actually what it's called. And I'm thinking about it in terms of the theories I teach in my class. And he wrote a whole book on it. So when he yeah. came on, I was, it was, we had him on right in before black, the second black Panther movie came out. That's so it was right. super exciting. Quick, yeah. quick plug for for Gordon's episodes. It was, it was a lot of fun having him on. I love hearing y'all's kind of responses to that question, kind of what you learned about yourselves and observing and the, I love the, the intergroup dialogue that y'all had yourselves as a, as an author team, thinking about, obviously you, you put some things on paper here, some really specific directions where you hope the research goes. Is there anything that you're like particularly hopeful about, or maybe something that you're working on or that, you know, colleagues are working on as you think about the future research in this area? Yeah, I can jump in. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things that that I'm hopeful for, I think we as a team, and and, and as Graziella said, this was this this was a really great team to to figure these things out with, right? Getting past the like, I think I think all of us came in with what we again we thought was something kind of separate. Maybe we all had a good sense and a good feeling um, and conviction around the importance of it, and then it was well, how do we put it put it together? And it was a, it was a really great group to do that with. 
Um, I think in terms of, you know, what we hope happens next, I mean, speaking just for myself, you know, you hope that the, the calls to action actually happen, right? The, uh, so that the, when you say, okay, here's, you know, here's this great thing that we feel like we've realized and here's the research that would be necessary to bring it about and to better understand it and, and help it move beyond just sort of our initial um, thoughts and feelings, which aren't to be dismissed, but adding that research component is really helpful is that, you, that you, hope, you hope that it happens. Um, and what's funny is I remember in the, the tail end of what we wrote, there's this, this idea of like, you know, well, we'll need to study you know, how dialogic pedagogy can work online. And I think I remember thinking to myself, like, yeah, it's gonna be really difficult slash unlike slash maybe never happen because it was so thought of as an in-person face-to-face experience. So it's like, it's like, it's like let's have it, let's do it. But the accountability bar might be low because you might not even have anything to study. And then when the pandemic hit, these programs that have been doing this for decades were required to go online. Uh, and I remember, I remember thinking like, oh, isn't that interesting? They're gonna finally have to do it online. Oh wait, now we can study it. Like, oh, 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 my, oh my gosh, we can study it now. And so now uh, I, I, I myself have done different studies interviewing students who have done online dialogic pedagogy, inter- uh, interviewing facilitators who, who used to facilitate in person and now are facilitating online to figuring out how they experience that. Um, and so, you know, we've had a few presentations out of that. We have multiple papers we want to write out of that. Um, I think we've mostly gone back to in-person, but I think it, it, it created a, a moment to be able to study it and to be able to, to optimize it online to take advantage of all that the onlineness affords dialogic pedagogy, while also mitigating or avoiding all of the drawbacks that might be there. And first, we kind of have to discover what those are. Um, so that's really exciting. Thank you all for sharing, for adding those those spaces. And and we're we're getting close to the end. I'm sure we could continue to talk about this conversation a little bit more. Um, is there anything else you want to add to the conversation? Maybe something you want to share that maybe didn't come out, or or just something you think our our audience would benefit from knowing? You know, in terms of hoping, as you shared, Lauren, I mean, we could talk about this for for some for for quite a, a bit more time. But one thing that I think um, you know, has opened has been reintroduced in some in some capacities and it's always been with us right but this idea of universal design for learning and i know that you know it's it's deep in the pedagogy and and most of us do it without even thinking about it but how do we now you know if if we want to have this more intentional approach to online leadership education and include meaningful dialogue and help students talk about hard things um you know, how do we use UDL and, and allow for students to show up in, this, in, in the ways that are meaningful to them, right? How do we express content in a bunch of different ways? How do we engage students in a bunch of different ways? Even if it is an online asynchronous course that, you know, never shall one beating heart be the same room as another beating heart, there are ways that we can use UDL to, to um, shrink that, that distance. Um, and so, you know, as, as I think, going forward projects that I'm working on and, and the colleagues have brought forward is, okay, well, then how do we translate those really concrete, you know, in, in elements of universal design into um, inclusive, thoughtful, equitable online leadership education? Um, and so that would be sort of the next step as I think forward. Yeah, maybe one final thought I would share is building on what I said earlier about like, you know, getting to the point where you're actually doing it. Maybe 
a few little yeah. teaser trailers to go back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, reference uh, of, of what this actually might look like in um, in online leadership education. So Graziella talked about university de universal design for learning. I think that's a great thing for folks to look into more deeply. Um, part of that would be the establishment of community guidelines, course guidelines, group guidelines, class guidelines, whatever you want, want to call them. And we, I won't elaborate here, but that's something to definitely look into, like something that you co-create with students, right? What are going to be the guidelines that guide this uh, experience we're going to have together? Uh, what are we going to consider as normal? What are, uh, you know, what's the culture of our class going to be in terms of how we interact with each other? Another way that dialogic pedagogy can, can, can be woven into leadership education is through kind of informal, really subtle things. So for example, you might take a moment to talk about the difference between dialogue, discussion, and debate. And then as you're creating learning experiences and interactions between students, you might, as, the, as you're designing it, keep in mind, okay, do I want this to be a discussion? Do, do I want the students to be debating? Do I want them to be dialoguing? What are my purposes? And what kind of communication do I want them to have? And then as they're engaging with each other, if they're veering from one to the other, you can kind of name that, right? Well, oh, wait, it seems like we're it seems like we're wandering into debate land. Uh, let, let's, let's see if we can stay in discussion or stay in dialogue. I want I want you to stay with your lived experiences here. Um, and that can kind of help guide the, the interaction. And then another way it could be done is, is the active is the creation of activities, right? Um, dialogic activities. So one really brief kind of small example might be um, you might take index cards or in the digital space, you would you would find it, you know, a digital, a digital in, uh, the chat box is the way that we've seen it done, but some way to um, have people write out, when you think about yourself, your future in leadership, what hopes do you have? What fears do you have? I've heard it, uh, what, what, what's your greatest desires? What are your greatest needs? Some sort of dichotomy and uh, figure out a way to uh, be able to respond to that anonymously and then redistribute those responses to members of the, of the group and then have them read what is someone else's response. And as you start hearing about the people in the class, what their hopes and fears are, patterns will begin to emerge. And a lot of those patterns can center on, well, here are things I'm concerned about uh, being a leader and whether I'll be respected or not. Will people follow me or not based on you know, backgrounds that I have, identities that I hold? And that can be a great way to start getting into these dimensions of leadership that can often be overlooked because leadership is leadership is leadership. It's done the same way um, and received the same way, regardless of who's doing it. I love those points that you shared, and and I know our audience always loves a what what strategy or what what tip can I take back to to my class. And so, like when you when you said that, I immediately thought of how in the pandemic, I think we stumbled upon some of these things. Like for the activity you just listed, I use Google Jamboard to do that, and it's drop the link in the chat. Make sure it's it's open and unlocked. I'm always telling my students like check to make sure I unlocked it. Um, but it's that approach. How can we still do this, and what tools exist to help us do these things so that we can get at these results that we know uh, or get to these deep discussions that we we have very much confidence in that that work, um, as well as the creating guidelines. Like I had a colleague who forced people to have their cameras on. And we learned eventually that that could be very traumatic for a lot of reasons. And so when I was creating community guidelines, because I still do teach an online course or two every semester, it was, okay, so I want you to have your cameras on when we're talking so we can read your nonverbals and your verbals because we don't know each other well and we don't want to have any you know, miscommunication. But then if I'm lecturing for like 10 or 15 minutes and it's just kind of, let me 
talk about this, turn your cameras off because it's not natural to stare at your colleagues in this space, you know, 20 2D boxes for hours on end. And so I found that like explaining some of the guidelines too and kind of weaving in intentionality in those explanations went a lot further than just make sure your cameras are on from the start. So I know that you're not trying to skip out. And so it's like having those, like you said, like those guidelines and and, and just overall being explicit with your intentions and providing clarity and direction was something that grew out of the pandemic and, and students expected to come back in person in class. And, 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 you know, just some of my anecdotal learnings, like those are some of the practices that we've, we've kind of continued to bring in um, and, and have to like must do in these spaces now. Um, so like I said, we could talk forever, but we don't have forever time in podcast land. Um, I do want to share. Um, thank you, Grant. Thank you, Graziella. Y'all have been wonderful today. We appreciate your time um, speaking with us about priority number six. We're excited to share this episode as we are with all of the priorities because there have been some great discussions that have happened. And we're excited about the work that your team has done and ensure that our listeners will appreciate your work as well. So thank y'all so much for today. Thank you so much for having us. We really loved the time. Yes, thank you. This has been great. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at theleadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators, the Association of Leadership Educators and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.